Good morning. How are we doing today? We're excited this morning to talk about the phlegmatic personality. I have up here a big green yoga ball. It's very exciting. We've, the bumper video this morning shows the red collar just bouncing up and down on it, right? And the green is just tolerating it. And so we're going to talk about the green temperament this morning. As we've gone through these past four weeks and talked about each temperament, has anybody wanted to change their color, their temperament? Anybody? I'm looking at some of this. So this week, as I'm reading about the phlegmatics and the green temperament, I'm, I'm wanting to become more and more green. I want something. So I'm primary blue, but I'm secondary green. And it became a joke in the office. I could just take the test enough times to get enough greens. I'm going to eventually get there. I'm eventually going to be a phlegmatic because they have some awesome strengths. And so I want to read this, a few of their strengths really quickly this morning. They're balanced. They have an even disposition. They have a dry sense of humor. I've been telling my wife for 12 years that that is a strength. Now that it's in writing, maybe she'll believe me. Probably not. They have a pleasing personality. They're agreeable, tolerant, flexible, and diplomatic. Who doesn't want to be a phlegmatic? Who doesn't want to be a phlegmatic? It goes on in Marita Litauer's book, Wired That Way, that you can usually recognize a phlegmatic by their posture. They're very relaxed, very easygoing people. They're usually sitting or leaning on something. Energy efficiency is what they're all about. Energy efficiency, borderline lazy, whatever. But you can usually recognize them by, laying, by, by leaning or sitting on something. Uh, we, we began to joke with Derek, uh, campus pastor over at West Falls Church and our executive pastor. He is a phlegmatic. He is green. And we began joking with him this week that there's one quote in the book Wired That Way that he should have framed and hung in his home. West Falls Church, it's a great Christmas gift. Christmas gift is coming up. Get him a frame of this quote. I want to read it to you. This is one reason why I wanted to become phlegmatic. Get a hold of this. If you are a phlegmatic, you're going to want to hold on to this. Show it to your spouse like on a daily basis. And to your colleagues, your teachers, everybody. Phlegmatics are very likable people. Content and lacking in any obvious flaws in most aspects of life. Any phlegmatics out there? All right. Phlegmatics, you guys are lacking in all obvious flaws. Thank you guys for making our church so much better now that all of us flawed people are here, and you guys are here to help us. Thank you. Some of the weaknesses that they talk about, phlegmatics tend to dislike people who are too pushy, too loud, or expect too much of them. Too pushy, too... We got a yes over there. I'm, I told you, I'm borderline blue and green, and I, I affiliate with this statement 100%. 100%. Phlegmatics have a, a basic desire to avoid conflict and keep the peace at all costs. Avoid conflict and keep the peace. However, this desire to avoid conflict can keep you from speaking up, can keep you silent, can ha- cause you to bottle things in, to stuff it down, to kind of take the pressures of the world and just bottle them all up inside. You have a God-given gift, however. You have a God-given gift to be calm, patient, and willing to listen. And this makes you a natural leader. People are drawn to you. People are drawn to you. The one thing that holds you back is your lack of words. Lack of words. Marita Litauer or Kathleen Edelman in the last session that you'll be watching if you're in a group says this. When phlegmatics learn to speak up, they will discover that lives around them are changed, their life is changed, and they'll experience a powerful level of respect and freedom. 
And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is speaking up honest words, honest words and their ability to free us. So we look at Proverbs 28, 23. Proverbs is a book full of wisdom, full of information about words. It says this, honest correction is appreciated more than flattery. The New Living Translation says it this way, in the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery, far more than flattery. Honest conversations. If you were here at the very beginning of service, we threw out Tic Tacs. Nobody likes having a conversation with somebody with a bad breath. You got to speak up. It saves everybody from the awkwardness of that conversation. Help out. So we toss a bunch of those out this morning. Have you ever had to have a hard conversation? Have you ever had to have a conversation that you did not want to have? I had a boss in seminary, so about nine years ago, Joel. He's an amazing boss. I love Joel. He was the kindest guy, I'm pretty sure. I'm 95% sure he's green, high green level. But he was about six foot five, 240 pounds. And he would like walk with a bounce. He's just smiling, easy going, always sitting, always relaxing. And one day, he decides to change up his routine. And this big guy comes into the office trying to sneakily roll a yoga ball into his office because no one's going to miss a six foot five guy with a big green yoga ball. No one. And since he's six foot five, his ball must have been like this tall. I didn't inflate this thing all the way, but his was like this tall. And he rolls it into his office and we all look at our, each other and we're like, hey, this is going to be fun. This is just going to be interesting. And he's starting to get the feel of this thing. He swaps it out for his chair. So I walk in later that day and I'm like, all right, Joel, I see you got some new furniture. What's going on? You know, he's about mid forties, upper forties. And he's like, I just, I want to work on my core and my posture. And I want to just have a better experience at my desk. And so he's sitting on this thing, trying to get the feel of it. And if you've ever, who sat on a yoga ball? Like everybody here, man, you trying to get the feel of this thing and your core hasn't quite caught up to you yet. He's reaching for a pen and that leg goes out this way. He grabs hold of the desk. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. We're good. He starts tipping backwards. And once you start tipping backwards, you got to grab something in front of you, right? So he's flailing. I mean, legs are going everywhere. Six foot five, 240 pounds. It's very exciting. And he gets kind of the hang of it. His core catches up to him and he gets a little bit too relaxed on it. And we start having meetings with him and I'm in a meeting with him and he's sitting on this big old ball and he decides to put his hands behind his head and bounce, which puts things out there that nobody wants to see. He's, hopefully I don't have to clarify that for you. He's bouncing on this thing and I'm just sitting there. I'm I'm mostly green. So I walk away and I'm like, wow, that was awful. But I'm green. So I bottle it up and I stuff it all in, right? I kind of keep it down because I don't want to have an awful conversation. Not about that. Until later that week, our female colleagues in a meeting with us. And he's back there. He's just bouncing right away, completely oblivious. Lean in a full back. And we come out and we start having a conversation, her and I. We have a very honest conversation. And it's very easy to be honest about somebody behind their back. Very easy to be honest about somebody behind their back. It's kind of borderline gossip. But it's very easy to have an honest conversation about somebody behind their back. But what I realized, and this is something true of the, the phlegmatics, the green temperament, is it's easy not to say anything when it affects us. But when it affects somebody else, we can be stirred to speak up. Can be stirred to speak up. And so I walk into that office and I go, Joel, we love you, man. But your, bounce, your, your yoga ball is just not working for us. 
like, it, we've got we to gotta have a conversation about the yoga. He's like, what's the problem? You know, like, I, I'm really enjoying this thing. I didn't think it would create any issues. And I'm like, well, it's inappropriate. He goes, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I try to explain it to him. He's just not getting it. So I demonstrate. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, <laughs> yeah. And he apologizes. He, re- he never did it again. Thank God. Never did it again. But it didn't even cross his mind the way that he was coming across. Never crossed his mind. And so honest conversations, what we're talking about this morning is how honest conversations free us and the person we're speaking with from the embarrassment, the struggles, the consequences of our actions, of what we are doing. We speak up because we want to set someone free or we want to set ourselves free. If we do not speak up, if we do not speak up, God is unable to do what he wants to do. We hold him back in a sense. God has called us to participate in this process and to speak up, to speak honest words. Silence is a passive form of dishonesty. Silence is a passive form of dishonesty. And dishonesty destroys, devalues, and divides relationships. It divides, destroys, and devalues relationships. Speaking up in that situation, as uncomfortable as it was for me, communicated to Joel that I valued his relationship. And the quicker we speak up, when we have love in our hearts, the quicker we speak up, the more that value of that relationship is communicated. You know, if you've ever walked around with bad breath, we talked about the Tic Tacs, or something in your teeth, and you've got that friend that lets you go for like five hours. You've been having a conversation with them the whole time. How much do you think you, they love you? They just kind of let you go. We appreciate those honest comments. So Ephesians 4.15, Paul gives us our statement for this morning. Ephesians 4.15, rather speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. If you're not familiar with church, kind of some of that language is a little weird. What Paul is saying when he says grow into the head who is Christ He's the head of this movement. He's the head of God. He's the leader. And so Paul is saying, grow up into becoming like the leader that is in front of you, into Jesus Christ. Grow into that leader. If you say you're following him, then we are to look like the person we are following. We're supposed to take on his attributes, his character, his nature, and become more and more like him. Paul is saying, when we speak the truth in love, we are actually growing up. We're entering a growth process. We're becoming more and more like Jesus, and that changes everything. See, the church in Ephesus, who Paul is writing to, is confronted with a bunch of false teachers, people who are speaking smooth and cunning words to them. They're, they're deceiving them. They're just pulling the rug out from underneath them. They're telling them you've got to live one way and then doing something else. And Paul says, don't listen to deceitful words. Rather, focus on speaking truth and love, because when you do that, you grow. Speaking with honesty is a sign of growth. It's a sign of growth. We start this life in an incredibly honest way. If you have kids, you know kids are incredibly honest, especially four and under. Incredibly honest. They make shows out of it. They make movies out of it. My life at my house is awkwardly honest with my four-year-old Eli because he's always pointing everything out. But somewhere along the way, we learn dishonesty because when we're honest... A lot of times we get the response or the reaction we don't want. We don't want. So we bring something to somebody and they blow up at us. They put us down. 
and they call us a liar, whatever it is, and we learn dishonesty, we learn to bottle things up because of the reactions that we get from the people in our lives. And this leads us into this false dichotomy where we either feel like, man, we should be able to say whatever we want, we should be able to say anything and everything, or I should say nothing at all. Those are our options. Either we say nothing at all, or I should be able to say whatever I want. And what Paul is telling us is that there's an act of wisdom that needs to come into play. It's not being able to say everything that you want, or it's not saying anything, but there's a gradient level that wisdom says, okay, we need to choose the timing and the tone of our words. Choose the timing and the tone. Because when we apply wisdom to our words, it allows us to speak honestly, and the relationships begin to grow around us. Truth and love are essential ingredients for honest words. Essential. The green and the yellow temperaments, the sanguine and the phlegmatics, tend to weigh heavily a little bit on the love side. They, they kind of hang out on the love side. They bottle things up or they just want to be accepted. You know, it's kind of the love side. The red and blues weigh heavy on the truth side. Weigh heavy on the truth side. The reds speak it out. And the blues are thinking it. And usually it comes out in forms of criticism. We have this pendulum that swings with these temperaments. Love side or truth side. I don't know what side you tend to fall on, but the word that we see in Scripture is that you were not locked into your temperament. Maybe over the past four or five weeks, you've been like, I don't like these lists, these weaknesses. I don't like who this test says I am. There's something powerful that Paul is reminding us that we are to grow, which means we're not stuck in our temperament. We don't have to claim and hold on to those weaknesses. They don't have to become part of our identity. Instead, God te- Paul tells us to grow into the image of Jesus. There is incredible hope that is for us. He mentions, Paul, truth and love. And when there is an imbalance of truth and love, it results in either bottling up or blurting out. Bottling up or blurting out. When love overpowers truth, we tend to bottle things up. We remain silent. We fear the person's reaction. We fear disapproval. We fear shaking up the status quo. We fear conflict. In reality, this love that we're talking about is a distorted image of love. It's not true love. It's not love that is grounded in Christ. It's not love that is grounded in who Jesus is. Instead, we end up loving something more about ourselves, the comfort the pride, the status quo, whatever it is, that good feeling that we get from staying quiet, maybe we feel like the better person because we can control our tongue. We choose to say nothing. We bottle up because of love. When truth overpowers love, we tend to blurt out. Anybody have that friend that just blurts out whatever they say? They're probably choleric. Sorry, cholerics. I love you guys. I had a conversation with a choleric a couple weeks ago and I was talking about the cholerics and they're like, I don't know why you call us jerks. Why do you call us jerks? What's wrong with you? And I'm sitting there going, I don't know. I don't know. It's just kind of this disconnect. We speak truth with unfiltered tongue. We just don't filter anything when we err on the side of truth. There's a power struggle that happens with these two things. When love overpowers truth, what is happening is that we are giving power to the person in the relationship. When we bottle it up, we're giving them power over us. When we blurt it out, we're trying to take power over them. When we err on the side of bottling up, they have power over us. They put us in bondage. And when we're constantly blurting out, 
We're trying to take power over them because we're controlling, criticizing, or condemning. Blurting out. And there's a missing ingredient in all of this. So I'm blue-green, growing up in the house that I grew up in. I grew up in an alcoholic home. And one thing that was very evident is it was safer to bottle up. It was safer to be quiet. And so I had a lot of years of bottling stuff up and kind of like this bouncy ball, this yoga ball, filling the air with every conflict, with every tension, every awkwardness, every pain, just filling it more and more and more until I end up bursting internally. Like my life just fell apart around high school. My life just fell apart. It's kind of a funny side comment. When I purchased this ball, it said it was rated to 2,000 pounds. I don't know if like, they plan on like, balancing an elephant on this or what, but it can handle a lot of pressure, a lot of weight, and that's the way we feel a lot of times. We can ball it up and handle it a long time, but something's going to give, and all of a sudden, all this pressure that's built up in here is going to burst, and it's going to come out, and it's going to be real nasty. I didn't learn to start speaking up until undergrad, and it's, it's kind of cheesy, but what helped me was an emotions list. Anybody heard of an emotions list? It's kind of good. It's, go online. You can go search for these. They're great in relationships. So I went into undergrad thinking there was like six primary emotions. There was like happy, disappointed, angry, really angry, fuming, and ticked off. Like six emotions. And this emotions list, it's got like 100 different words on there to help you drill down beyond kind of the surface level emotions and begin to express what's going on inside. More than expressing it, it helps you to kind of discern what's happening inside of you, why you're feeling what you're feeling. The other thing that really helped me to speak out was scripts. These formulated sentences that are like, I I feel this because you did this and this is, you know, these scripts. But what I discovered was I was quickly moving from bottling up to blurting out. I like swung full circle. And now I thought, if I just wordsmith this enough, no matter how rude it was, I could get away with it. You ever have that friend? I was that friend. If I just said it right, if I just used the right words, I could say whatever I wanted. My wife, who's red, told me that wasn't the case. Very early in our marriage, she says, I don't know what you think you're saying, but you sound like a jerk. I don't care how much you wordsmith, it's not working. That's because there's a missing ingredient. There is a missing ingredient. You can have all the tools and techniques to speak and still be missing the point of communication. And that's what Paul is getting at. There's something that has to happen in our hearts, something that has to change. We have to grow up into the likeness of Jesus. And until we do that, even the tools and the techniques are going to start falling flat. Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, as written by Paul Tripp, says this, if we love God above all else, Speaking up is an extension and expression of that love. We fail to confront or speak up when we give the love of our hearts to someone or something else. We fail to speak up when we give the love of our heart to someone or something else. What do you love most? Who do you love most? If you love yourself most, you'll likely kind of speak up. If you love the other person most, you're going to bottle it up. But what he is saying, what Paul is saying, is that when we have our priorities right, we're going to balance truth and love, and it's going to allow us to speak honest words that are life-giving and freeing. There's an amazing story because Jesus does this awesome. He's great at this. John 8, 1 through 11, it's the woman caught in the act of adultery. If you're not familiar with that story, I encourage you to read it. It's a powerful story. 
We've been talking about the Gospels over the past four weeks, and this week, the Phlegmatics. John is the Phlegmatic Gospel, if you've been keeping track. John is the Phlegmatic Gospel. He confronts, Jesus confronts the men who bring this woman that was caught in the act of adultery to him. So if you're not familiar with the story, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. I don't know how about 20 or 30 men found this woman in the act of adultery. A lot of scholars think they set her up. They set her up. Either way, she's been caught in it. She's given into the temptation. She's been given into the act of adultery. And the men bring her before Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, we got a truth. We got a word. We got a word we got to say. We got to blurt this thing out because this woman needs to be held to the truth. And our truth says, if she does this, we should stone her. We should stone her to death. It's kind of harsh, kind of harsh. Stone her to death. And Jesus looks at them and says, okay, you want to deal with truth. The man who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Because it's very easy when you err on the side of truth to want to apply truth to everyone else but yourself. And Jesus confronts them and says, okay, if you're without sin, go ahead and throw throw the stone. And all the men realize they're in a catch-22. Nobody throws a stone. They walk away one by one. And the woman's left there sobbing in front of Jesus. And Jesus says this to her, woman, where are the men that condemned you? How many men have condemned you? How many men have thrown stones at you? And the woman says, no one, sir. And Jesus makes this amazing statement of love. Neither do I condemn you. The purpose of his love is to restore relationship between her and God, his purpose of love. I don't condemn you, but he follows it up with truth. It's an amazing balance of love and truth because as soon as he's restored the relationship, said, I love you, I don't condemn you. He follows it up and says, now go. Leave your life of sin. He doesn't shy away from the truth that needs to be said. See, when we're talking about honest words, we're not just talking about bad breath and awkward moments. We're talking about the things in people's lives that are going to lead them down a path of destruction. We're talking about sins in people's lives. We're talking about that honesty that says you are heading somewhere that you don't want to go. And unless you change, you're going to reach a consequence that you're not ready to handle honest words. Jesus does an amazing job of balancing these both. And what's crazy when I read the stories of Jesus is that he speaks up unapologetically, direct, honest words, and people leave him feeling good. It's very weird. They leave him feeling better off. And here's why. John 8, 31 through 39. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They, the Jewish people, the religious Jews, answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anybody. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus speaks honesty to them. He says, okay, the Jewish people, the people following him, you need to be set free. You need to acknowledge your situation. He speaks an honest word. You guys are bound to something. And the goal of his honesty is to remind them that they need to be set free. Honest words are freeing words. Honest words are freeing words. They become freeing, and this is why honest words are so important, because they point people to hope. They point people to hope. It's not enough to point out our grievances. We also have to point out the gospel. It's not enough to point out grievances. We have to point out the gospel. Jesus does this in a powerful way, but pointing out truth but then bring it full circle with love because the goal is restoration and freedom. 
It's not just speaking an honest word to put somebody down and take control over them. It's to bring them freedom, to bring them hope, to let them know that they are loved. Circling back to Joel and the giant yoga ball. My conversation with him resulted in freedom. Freedom from his embarrassment, freedom from inappropriateness, freedom. It freed his professionalism to keep having normal meetings. But he also freed us from awkwardness, right? It set us free to have a conversation. And it saved him a lot of pain in the long run. The Jewish people that Jesus is speaking to have completely denied their situation. If you know anything about Jewish history, the Jews have been pretty much enslaved most of their history. They began in Egypt. They got captured by Assyria. They lived in captivity in Babylon. They served under Greco-Roman rule. And when Jesus is speaking to them, they're under Roman captivity. They're under Roman control. And they look at Jesus and say, we've never been slaves to anybody. They've completely missed the point. And Jesus says, you're missing it. He speaks an honest word that draws them face to face with their circumstances without ambivalence, fear. He doesn't approach it with indecision or compromise. But he points them to the truth. And he says it's all for the goal of being free, set free into a relationship with him and with God. That is the path that our honest words are to take. Not just to point out grievances, but to point out the gospel, to set people free. The question is, and this is important for all of us, where are you getting your image of truth and love? Where are you getting your image of truth and love? John spoke powerfully last week about the importance of reading and understanding scripture. The image of Jesus Christ that's captured in here, especially the four gospels. The image of love, because Jesus does something powerful. He communicates this word of love, but he also typifies this character of truth. He's got this amazing blend of truth and love. And when we take our image, our picture of truth and love from Scripture, it changes something inside of us. And all of a sudden, that imbalance that's inside of us starts rising to the top. And truth and love begin to take root, and we begin to grow in the image of Jesus. We need to take his words and make them part of our lives. And then our hearts begin to change. And that's the missing ingredient. Your heart changing It's not enough for our words to change. Our heart needs to change. Speaking up allows you to become free because you are elevating truth and love in your own life. You are growing into the image of Jesus. You become free because you're no longer under the power of the individual or the relationship. You're taking power back from them. Secondly, the person you're speaking to becomes free because they are confronted with truth and love. They get a glimpse of who God is. They get a glimpse of what Jesus wants to do in their life and it sets them free. They have a powerful encounter with God when we speak up, when you speak honest words. But the key is starting in the heart. Tools and techniques don't work because people see your heart before they hear your words. People see your heart and understand your heart long before they ever hear your words. Honest words come from an honest heart. Honest words come from an honest heart. Psalm 51, 6 reads this. You desire honesty from the heart, teaching me wisdom even there. God desires honesty from our hearts and he's gonna teach us wisdom to get us to where we need to go. Psalm 24, 3 through 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, an honest heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, 
that person will receive the blessing from the Lord. Something changing within our hearts. There's a book called Crucial Conversations. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. It talks a lot about words, the words that we use. And the authors on there, it's a New York Times bestseller. The authors on there hit the nail on the head. They boil the issue down to this. If you want to have a successful conversation, here's the key. If you can't get your heart right, you'll have a hard time getting your dialogue right. If you can't get your heart right, you'll have a hard time getting your dialogue right. All the tools and techniques won't overpower a false or dishonest heart. When we begin to change, when we grow into the image of Jesus and something within us changes, ourselves and others are better impacted for it. Their lives change and our lives change. If our hearts don't change, our words won't change. If our hearts won't change, our words won't change. People pick up on our heart long before they ever hear our words. If you want your marriage to grow, if you want your children to know how much you love them, if you want your colleagues to listen to you or your teachers to understand you, you need to begin with your heart. An honest heart will produce honest words. We've been closing every week by reading Psalm 1914. And when we read it, there's the beginning line of that says, May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. The meditation of my heart there in Hebrew literally is the talk of my heart, the words of my heart, the things that I say in my heart. May they be acceptable to you, God. When we pray this, we're asking God to shift our focus, our love from our own comforts, our own agendas, and our own selfishness. We're asking God to change our heart and focus our heart on growing in truth and love. Growing in truth and love, the, the challenge that Paul gives us in Ephesians 14. is When we grow in truth and love, honest words begin to come out of us because they're coming from an honest heart. And when that happens, our life and the lives of those around us are dramatically changed. So if you will, I want us to read that together again this morning in closing. Everybody aloud? Psalm 19, 14, join with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer.